Welcome to Interchain FM, where we dive into the frontier of the blockchain space. We're now in the third generation of blockchain tech, where a burgeoning multi-chain ecosystem is about to explode into what we call the decentralized web. Where Ethereum is to the mainframe computing era of the internet, Cosmos is to the PC era. If you're seeking alpha in the Cosmos ecosystem, look no further. This is the destination for your exponential learning experience. Interchain FM is where you can get the download on all of the high signal projects, building bridges to one another, and how you can participate in the future of the internet. Tegan Klein from The Graph. Welcome to Interchain FM. Very excited to have you here. We're here on Graph Day, and so it's been a great whole day of panels and conversations about Web3. How is your day going? Yeah, it's been great. It's been really exciting. So many announcements. I think just getting Web3 ready for the masses. We're almost at this golden age of dApps, and so yeah, many announcements that we've been working on for many years came to fruition today. So I heard something really exciting today, which is you guys just announced on one of your talks that you guys are integrating with Osmosis. Mm-hmm. So, so can you talk about that? Absolutely, yeah. So Cosmos Hub has been integrated, so that's very exciting. And so the next step is Osmosis. And so we're really excited to support many chains within the ecosystem, but Osmosis is one of the first. Perfect. And this is much needed for the cross-chain ecosystem. What was your guys' strategy? You know, because you, you guys were starting with Ethereum and then you wanted to move over to more of an interchain paradigm? Or can you talk about the strategy? Absolutely, yeah. So I think almost two years ago now, we came out with our strategy around multi-blockchain and kind of what that would look like. And we heard from the community after that went live. And there was a lot of support for the Cosmos ecosystem, a lot of demand within the Cosmos ecosystem. And Osmosis... I mean, we've been building with the team since, you know, multiple bear markets now. So, yeah, just really excited to, to support the team and the development. Okay, yeah, very cool. And just for our new listeners, can you just give a high-level overview about, like, what the value proposition of the graph is? Totally, yeah. So, basically, you have different blockchains or different networks. You could be layer ones, layer twos, many different types of networks. And you need to be able to organize that data. And so, oftentimes, like, the developer would need to build out centralized infrastructure to index that data. And so with the graph, it's abstracted away to a network of nodes and it decentralizes the indexing and query layer. Mm -hmm. So if you have centralized indexing, you're not going to have a decentralized application. It's going to be a centralized application and that's not what we're here for in the Mm -hmm. Web3 space. And so similar to how Google indexes Web2, the graph indexes Web3. Or another analogy is just if you walk into a library, the books are all over the floor, that's like Cosmos or Ethereum without the indexer, without a decentralized indexer. And so the graph puts those books on the shelf so that you can easily find them. Okay, so that's that's very useful. So in in the future, what would someone using a Web3 dApp, like running a social network, for example, be able to use the Graphs Indexer for? Yeah, great question. So you can't have a decentralized social media platform without a decentralized indexer. So, for example, we just announced Arweave today. So we're indexing the Arweave blockchain, getting closer to indexing metadata on Arweave. And so right now, a lot of NFTs are centralized. They're pointing to HTTP. So if that company goes down, your NFT is gone. So that's not really the ethos of the space. So we're working on being able to index the metadata from these like storage layers like Arweave, like IPFS, so that you can have truly decentralized, so you can actually own your content on a decentralized social media platform. And I think that's really important. It's a really important piece. And then also we announced today Substreams, which makes it 10 times faster to sync an application, which doesn't impact the consumer, but it does in- impact the developer and the 
amount of data that they can organize and use in their applications. That was a really exciting announcement as well. That is that is very exciting. We're so happy you guys are coming over. You're going to monopolize the interchain space, but with decentralized node infrastructure. Public goods, right? Public so goods, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so since given that it's public goods, what's the sort of revenue model or the tokenomics of yeah, the graph token? Yeah, great question. So the graph is a work utility token. Two years went into designing the incentive structure before any developer work went behind building the graph network. And so how it works is there's a network of nodes. They're called indexers. They're all around the world. And they're kind of like the Googles of Web3, right? There's multiple of them. They Oftentimes they have companies surrounding those and they do a lot of DevOps. And so they earn the most. They're kind of the back one of the future of the internet, they earn GRT for serving queries. And they're competing against one another to serve queries the fastest and the cheapest um, and the most efficiently. And then they're also syncing the subgraphs, syncing the applications, the dApps. And then you have the curators. So they're curating the data. They're saying, like, I believe in this application. I believe in this subgraph. I think it's going to get a lot of usage. And if they're correct, then they earn GRT for that. And then you have delegators, which is the least technical role. You delegate your GRT to earn 5 to 15% APY. Exactly. It's similar to staking. Okay. And then on the other side of this, you have the consumer of the data. So you have DAP developers right now are the ones that are paying mostly for the GRT for those queries. But in the future, as products launch, as we educate the users, the users will actually be able to pay in micropayments for the, the usage of the applications. Okay, mm-hmm. and can you explain what a subgraph is? Yeah, absolutely. So a subgraph is an open API, so it's all about open data and transparency. And so there's over 52,000 subgraphs, and that's a proxy for an application. So it's, it forms the UI. Egan's got to go now. <laughs> I took a closed graph day. Closed graph day. <laughs> and then host another hackathon. And then go to Austin for consensus, which we will see you there at. I'm here with Joseph Alshami, who is the product manager at Figment Network, and he's the one actually building the graphs implementation for Cosmos Hub and Osmosis, right? Yeah, exactly. Can you talk more about that? So I had Tegan on. Mm -hmm. She gave us a high-level idea about what it is, but let's dive into the details. Yeah, sure. So, you know, like when the graph launched, they were just indexing uh, Ethereum chain, meaning they were just putting the data out of the Ethereum chain, wrapping it, putting it into a subgraph, and now people could use subgraphs to collect the data from Ethereum chain. And then when we joined as a core dev team, our mission was to expand the graph integrations. Instead of being just focused on Ethereum, we wanted to take the graph technology and start integrating with other ecosystems so other people and developers could benefit from this technology. And the first one we chose was Cosmos. We are like at Figment, we are chain agnostic, we believe in, in the entire ecosystem and the multi-chain vision, but Cosmos, we believe in its vision, we love this ecosystem. And so we chose Cosmos as the first ecosystem and we started working on it. And when we started working on Cosmos, we had the decision, either we start integrating chain by chain, meaning from the application layer, we start integrating the chains, or we can think about it from a different way to integrate first element layer, and then we can have almost for free all the application layers. So like you're more knowledgeable about that than me, but like as you know, like you have Tenderman, the base layer, as a consensus networking layer, and you have the Cosmos SDK building on top, so you have your applications. And so what we did is we hooked the graph with Tenderman level. And so we integrated Tendermint first, and now all we have to do is to understand how the data is being translated on the application layer, and then we could directly integrate a chain on top of Tendermint. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did with Cosmos Hub, and now we have the first version ready. Everyone could use it, and it's out there. Okay, that's so funny that you guys did it in this way. We were just talking about Jay's new Tendermint, right? So how does that affect things? So, okay, so 
Instead of integrating at the application layer, which is the Cosmos SDK framework, you decided to build and integrate with Tendermint itself, the right. consensus right. and peer-to-peer networking layer. I guess that would make sense because you guys are indexing on the peer-to-peer level with your distributed set of nodes. Okay, so tell me more about what are the complexities of doing it on the consensus level because then it would mean you'd need to customize each Cosmos app chain, right? Because their their logic is slightly different. Yeah, exactly. So like the, the easiest way possible to put it, so like imagine on the Tendermint level, you have like a blob of data, right? And imagine that you took like a certain like data set from Tendermint, like a message or something. It's just like a blob of random numbers or something. You don't know what it means. You're just looking at something and you look, okay, that could be a transaction. It could be a government's proposal. Like you don't really know what it means. The only possible way to know what this data means is once you start like using how the application layer translate this blob of data that is only on Tendermint. When you're on Tendermint, you don't know what, what this data means. You only have to start, okay, for Cosmos SDK, these data, they translated into a transaction. This type of data is translated into governance proposals and et cetera, right? And so when we hook up on the Tendermint level, like at the beginning, like we were collecting this data, but like we don't know what this data means. Now we need to start integrating the application layers, translate this data and say, okay, this is like a, tra- a message for a transaction. That's like one for governance, right? But it turns out it's like easier to do it that way. It turns mm-hmm. out it's like much more logical to start with Tendermint because at the end, you would only have to figure out the translation from Tendermint to the application layer to get the entire application or blockchain built on top of Tendermint, mm-hmm. which like it's going to speed up our next integrations. Okay, I understand now. So I'm starting to formulate a framework about why this is going to be extremely useful in the cross-chain you know, Cosmos paradigm. Because if you guys are doing the work of integrating each individual IPC app chain, then others possibly could just leverage your service Mm -hmm. in the future so that it makes it more convenient for them to basically query whatever data they want in the entire interchain ecosystem. Yeah. The long-term vision, and I really hope that we get there. So, like, imagine that we integrated Cosmos Hub, and next we are working on Osmosis, and then we integrated a couple of those. And so what we're trying to do is next... To query the data from Cosmos Hub, you need to query a certain subgraph, right? That's how the graph functions. You have the graph network, and then you have the subgraph, which is kind of the bridge between the developers and the data itself. So developers, like, they are querying the subgraph or telling the subgraph, hey, I need this type of data, and then the subgraph is giving the data back. And so what we want to do is we want the subgraphs in the Cosmos system to have the same schema. Meaning, let's say you want to get rewards data on, on Cosmos Hub, the call from the subgraph is going to be get rewards. We want to have the same type of calls on mm. all the chains. So even on Osmosis, you can say the exact same call, get rewards, to get you there once. Yes. And now imagine long-term vision, we integrated all these Cosmos chains, and then you have the, all the individual subgraphs for each Cosmos chain, but then we built a major subgraph that is composable from all these subgraphs. Mm. And so now you could just tell me get rewards for the entire Cosmos ecosystem, yeah. and you can get from individual chains with one call. That's oh, like, interesting. So you guys are going to have like a like a hub or beacon chain, like main subgraph that kind of queries all of the subgraphs, the, a master subgraph that queries all of the subgraphs that you have. In- yeah, that's kind of like for the future vision, but it's not going to be like a chain or oh, like okay. a hub. You know, it's, it's still going to be a subgraph, like subgraph on the graph network. Mm-hmm. But the difference between now the Cosmos ecosystem and the other ecosystem 
is that now if we integrate multiple Cosmos uh, chain, it's so easy to have like one subgraph that is querying all the others. Even in the Ethereum chain, you can do something like that. It's called subgraph composability. But like in the Cosmos system, it would make so much sense. Why? Because most of them are built on Tendermint and Cosmos SDK. So already most of them share like almost the same set of data, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. if you look at the entire set of data, like all of them have at least that much of intersection of data across them. So that's why it's going to be so natural to have the subgraph to be easily composable mm -hmm. to different subgraphs that right. are querying the individual chains. Yeah, that's extremely useful because now you're creating a standard, uh, what, RPC call interface, I guess yeah. you would say, for the interchain ecosystem. Yeah, that's, GraphQL. That's GraphQL. Yeah. Okay, sweet. Very exciting. So tell me, um, what are the sort of anticipated end users you know you see using this? Is it... Is it developers? Is it like centralized exchanges? Like, who do you, you imagine using? Yeah, I think like on the spectrum of users for the graph, I think it's a large spectrum. You would have like decentralized exchanges. You have like small developers. When I go to the hackathons, like sometimes and I meet people who are using the graph, you see like new developers coming into the space. They need to query data. So they're using the graph. It's like one of the easiest, cheapest solutions out there. But at the same time, like a lot of big applications now are using the graph, like Uniswap and SushiSwap. Mm -hmm. And so for Cosmos Hub specifically, we were talking with Masari before they announced that they're going to be joining as a core dev team. And Masari was like really keen for us to finish the Cosmos integration because they want to start collecting blockchain data from the Cosmos. So they're going to be one of the first to start building subgraph and to use this integration. And next, when we move into Osmosis, I believe there's a lot of developers ready. They're like keen to start getting Osmosis mm -hmm. data. And so I think on Osmosis also, we're going to have a lot of developers. Mm -hmm. So it varies, the end users. Absolutely. Can we go back to the Masari core dev team? So sure. yeah, what are you alluding to? So just today, Masari announced that they're going to be joining the graph as a core dev team. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Can you elaborate? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, like Masari, they have a lot of dashboards, a lot of data analytics and etc. And what they're going to be bringing to the graph ecosystem is a lot of this end user perspective. So they've been using the graph, they've been building subgraphs. And I was chatting with one of their teammates, uh, Vincent, and he was telling me that they already built in production or deployment, I forgot, around 80 subgraphs. So that's a lot of subgraphs. So now they became like experts in building subgraphs. And so they're going to bring a ton of expertise to the graph ecosystem where once like on our side, let's say on Figment, we integrated Cosmos Hub, right? We did our part. Now you can index Cosmos Hub, you can query it. And now Masari could come on top of us and build subgraphs and put it outside. And now everyone could query those subgraphs. Mm -hmm. So they're bringing a lot of expertise from like end users and subgraph mm -hmm. development. Okay, that makes a lot of sense because they are sort of a data aggregator and they do analytics already. So that makes a ton of sense to me. Okay, now last question sure. for our listeners. Is there any other alpha you have to give to them based on what you've heard today? Hmm. I mean, a, a lot of things were announced, today, yeah, by yeah, the way. Yeah, a lot of things. Yeah, and, and none of it's publicly announced anywhere else on Twitter. You know, they're still in press release yeah. stage, you know. So let's be the first to break it. Let's okay. <laughs> <laughs> be the earliest we would break the news. Oh, my God. There's many of them. I, I think the Masari one we just covered is, like, something really big. Mm -hmm. Masari is a very big company, so, yeah. like, they're going to be bringing a lot of stuff. The second most interesting one for the graph is going to be moving into Arbitrum, uh, layer two. So okay. right now, like most, like let's say as an indexer on the graph, if you want to uh, open allocations, which means you signal some GRTs on a subgraph so you can start index the subgraph. Usually this, um, this smart contract calls are, are being paid with uh, Ether as fees, and sometimes it's kind of expensive. And when you right. want to curate on subgraph as well, 
and creation, what, what we mean by creation is you signal GRTs on a certain subgraph to say that this subgraph is important for, for indexers to start indexing it, right? And so both actions or transactions are usually being paid with Ether as in fees, and at some point it's getting expensive. And Brandon today announced that the graph is going to be moving into Arbitrum as a layer two, so that's going to decrease a lot of the cost. So it's going to be I'm much... Sorry, this is Brandon who? Brandon Ramirez, co-founder of the graph and okay. uh, at Node. Okay. And he announced today that the graph is going to be moving to uh, Arbitrum layer two, and that's going to decrease a lot uh, the cost for subgraph developers and indexers, mm. which is like really a good selling point to bring more subgraph developers in, uh, into the graph okay. system. Oh uh, yeah, can you explain to me how the economics works? So, sure. what would they do? They they need to move the value onto Arbitrum. Is there any migration needed, or they're just running it on Arbitrum without needing to go through ETH at all? Yeah, exactly. So, like you know, like when the reason why you use L two is on Ethereum because yes. the transactions right. are so expensive, right? So mm-hmm. the same way, like when we move the graph on the L two, all the transactions are going to be cheaper to do, right? They're okay. going to require less mm-hmm. fees. So from the token economics side, the way it functions is that the graph is permissionless and anyone could build a subgraph and deploy it on the graph network, right? Like literally anyone. And so imagine that you want to attack the graph and you start deploying a lot of random subgraphs out there. Mm-hmm. And now think about the indexer who wants to index these subgraphs and provide this data for the entire ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the indexer is seeing that there's like tons of subgraphs. How will the indexer make a decision on which subgraph to index or how could the indexer know which subgraph has a value? And if you want to determine the value of a subgraph, we, you could directly say the subgraph that is um, serving data is an important subgraph. If a subgraph is not serving data, then we don't care about it, right? And so you need a role in the graph ecosystem or the token economics to tell the indexer, hey, indexer, focus on this subgraph, index this subgraph, this subgraph has value. And this is the curator role. So the curator, they will signal GRTs on a certain subgraph, the moment they signal GRTs on a subgraph, the subgraph um, indexing rewards increases and attract the indexers. And now indexers start indexing the subgraph and collecting indexing rewards, right? And so to do this transaction, the creator, to do to signal those GRTs on a subgraph to say, hey, indexers, come index it, they need to pay it like Ether fees, which mm-hmm. sometimes is expensive. And now once you move it to the L2, it becomes much cheaper. Mm-hmm. And so if it, it gives more, um, let's say, space to creators to start moving their signals from one subject to another. Mm-hmm. This is sort of a obvious question, but you know, what happens in the future if it gets expensive on Arbitrum? Does it matter? I don't think it's going to be more expensive than what it is right now, but there's always L3. There's always L3. <laughs> you know, like the joke uh-huh. in Ethereum, we're going to have L2, then we're going to have L3 on L2, and <laughs> LN or whatever. L to the N, yeah, okay. If one L2 gets bloated, just add another L3 on top yeah, of it. That's a bad joke, but yeah. <laughs> I, all right, well, the future is vertical scaling, or is it horizontal like in the Cosmos case? Thanks for tuning in to Interchain FM. As always, I will read through the pages of white papers and condense only the alpha for you in a one-hour-long digest. Be sure to subscribe to Chango and Chain's YouTube channel to be up to date about the latest technology and never miss a live-streamed episode.